0: The title of the message is Do Not Grieve or Quench the Spirit, and a little subtitle is Giving Room to the Holy Spirit. We're amidst a series that we have called The Person and Work of the Holy Spirit, major, majorly important study to say the very least. And we're actually going to look at three passages. and, and, and But I want us to begin here in chapter 4, verse 25, which, by the way, there's a strong likelihood at, at the end of this series on the Holy Spirit, we're actually going to go deep in the study, uh, verse by verse through the great book of Ephesians, um, or Colossians, I'm still working on it. But let, let's look here in verse 25, chapter 4. Paul is writing, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he says, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you Uh, Speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him. Who has need, and let no corrupt communication or corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not, what's the next word, you guys? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. What's the next word, you guys? Forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Now we're going to come back to this passage. This is actually like the core passage we're going to study, but I want you to turn to John chapter 3 at this time. John chapter 3. And for those of you who are with us last week, we know that we started here last week in John. And I actually want to make two comments. Uh, that we didn't make last week from John chapter 3, which is like one of the most famous chapters in the Bible. John chapter 3, verse 1. Okay. And it reads the following There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the. What's the next word, you guys? Jews. All right. So this is a Jew here. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you undo unless God is with them. And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said of him, Well, how can a how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, which is reference to the first birth biologically, and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, you hear its sound, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes, and so is everyone who is born of the, let's all say that last word, Spirit. Okay, you may have a seat at this time, you guys. As I mentioned, this is really one of the most important series and messages we could give our attention to. And I'll tell you, John chapter 3, which is really one of the most famous Chapters in the entire Bible helps us understand why that is. The focus of the passage in John chapter 3 is a meeting that takes place uh, in the city of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago between a great leader in Israel and the Lord Jesus. Now, there's been some great meetings throughout history, believe me. I can remember reading the biography of Billy Graham, who had a big influence on my life as a young man, and he did a crusade in London, I think it was 1956, and, you know, he had invited Winston Churchill, and he wanted to meet with him, and Winston was reluctant, and then the meetings were off the charts, all these people were getting healed and rescued and blessed, and then Winston ended up calling Billy at the very end before he left England, and they had a meeting, it was supposed to be five minutes, but it ended up being, I know 45 minutes or an hour and I'm just reading this book and I'm thinking, oh, I would love to have been a fly on the wall. Not really. But anyways, I mean not a fly. Um, But I'd love to have been there to watch that meeting. You know, there's been great meetings in history. I think of the meeting that you have Moses and Elijah the two bookends of Judaism, meeting Jesus. And there Peter, James, and John are watching this. Man, I'd love to have been there. I would love to have seen when my mom and dad first met. That would have been an awesome meeting to see. This meeting is definitely like one of those you just want to be there to see, And last week we began to study the passage, but there are two ideas we did not expound on. Now we're going to transition Ephesians 4 in just a little bit. and So that's why we're back here in John chapter 3. There's two things I just want to underscore that help us understand the importance of the person and work of the Holy Spirit, okay? Look at verse 1, find the term Jews there. I, I mean, it's kind of like the elephant in the room. It's obvious this particular leader, he was a Jew. Hey, look, I love Jews. I mean, my Messiah is a Jew, as well as yours. And who is a Jew? A Jew is a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jesus is speaking to one of the chosen people of God. So to be a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is you are a part of a nation, a people, please hear me, that God has chosen to reveal himself to and ultimately through, and that the entire world would be blessed through the nation of Israel in the person of the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One. How many of you have fallen so far? Just raise your hand. All right? That's a really big idea, but it's a very important one. So that means, therefore, if actually you're... You are born a Jew. You are born a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Your birth is very, very significant to say the very least. And and let me just tell you this gentleman who's approaching Jesus, he's a Jew. He's a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's actually a ruler, he's a student of the Bible. And he actually believes in the purpose of why God chose Israel, that ultimately in the Messiah, the king, the entire world would in fact be blessed. That there would be, okay, a kingdom on the earth that would be divine, would be a kingdom of justice and shalom and well-being to the entire earth. He believed that. And he believed that this kingdom would have no end. So guess what Jesus tells them? Even though, let me just paraphrase it. Hey, Nicodemus, even though your first birth is really significant and you're a Jew and you worship the Lord God of Israel and yeah, you're a great leader in your country. Let me just tell you this, Nicodemus, unless, unless you are born again, you will neither see nor enter into the kingdom of God, even though you're a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Even though it's like you just live every single day with this hope that there's gonna be a king reigning on planet Earth for which there will be no end. I'm telling you right now, you need to be born again. You talk about perspective on on the importance of the Holy Spirit which implies, therefore, like we're all born biologically. We have biological DNA, which is a miracle in and of itself. But Jesus is saying there's a second birth to experience a spiritual DNA. So I just wanted to draw that fact out. Jesus is speaking to a Jew for him to say to Nicodemus, who would hold his birth, his biological birth as a descendant of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in high regard and significance and purpose for Jesus to say, you got to be born again. It's like, whoa, man. It just gives perspective how important the ministry of the Holy Spirit is. Second thing is, it's just what Jesus is referring to. Look, Nicodemus, you'll neither see nor enter into the, can someone tell me, kingdom, all right? I mean, Jesus began his public ministry immediately addressing the kingdom. Let me show you this verse. I think we have it up on the screen. Maybe, maybe not. But it reads Jesus came to Galilee, that's the northern part of Israel, preaching, giving proclamation. Of the gospel of the kingdom of God Saying the time is fulfilled The kingdom of God is at hand Repent and believe In the, everybody say it Gospel, right? Well what does that mean? I mean he's speaking To Nicodemus in Jerusalem which is south Of where his ministry began In the north and he's talking about the kingdom of God I mean what does it mean Like this kingdom of God is at hand And believe the gospel And stuff, well what this means is that the most important moment in human history, God has become a man and he's presenting himself to the world. That, that's what it means boiled down. Now, I mean, if, if it's just merely an idea and it's not really true, it's an incredible, inspiring idea, right? But if it's true, it, it's more than an idea. It's the greatest reality of all. And therefore, you must You must ask yourself, am I a citizen of the kingdom of God? The the idea is that Jesus is saying, hey, look, look, I am the king you've been looking for. Step down. And I am inviting you into relationship with Almighty God. And the idea of the gospel means good news, but it's bigger than that. When he says believe the gospel, he's saying accept the invitation. I'm inviting you in to the kingdom for which You not only have relationship with the king, but you are a citizen of this kingdom that will ultimately materialize on planet earth. Boy, that's all a mouthful. But let me just say, for him to say to a Jew who would hold his birth in high regard, as we all do, because Israel is the chosen people of God that he revealed himself to and through and blessed us with Messiah. Can I hear an amen to that? All right, very important. For Jesus to say, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Oh my goodness gracious. That would tell us for sure that every single one of us in this room needs to be born again as well. And that gives perspective as to why it's so important we study the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we've been doing. And we've learned that the Holy Spirit is not a vibe or a power or some force, but he is a person and we've learned that He has a unique relationship between the Son and the Father. We've learned He's one in nature with the Son and the Father. That God is triune in nature, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Last week, one of our main points was, I think we have it up on the screen, but it's actually God's will that the Holy Spirit indwells you. I mean, like, literally, like, he takes resonance. Like, there's this new DNA you experience, and that's relationship with God. That speaks of being born again. And when that takes place, it gives you this incredible assurance. You just know that you know. That, okay, I know that there's an Almighty and Creator. I mean, whether it's a creation, there's definitely a, a Creator. I mean, we're not byproducts of mindless nature, but how could I know this Almighty, the Creator? It's impossible without Jesus. I, I would just be left to my own imagination. But we, we know who He is because He sent His Son, and we've seen the face of the Father in the person of Jesus. And when I receive Him... The Bible says there's literally an experience that I have an absolute assurance that I have right standing with God and now the Almighty becomes Abba, which is this beautiful, endearing term that the Almighty becomes my Father. Now I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter four. Let's go back there. I want us to make a transition to the core of the message, which is not to grieve now or quench the spirit. What does that mean? In Ephesians chapter four, verse 30 addresses another way that the Holy Spirit actually brings new identity and assurance and relationship with the Father in Christ. Okay? So kind of we, before we get to the idea of like, how, do you, how, how can you grieve Him or quench Him and those, what those ideas mean, I just kind of want, want to make a segue talking about the need to be born again and you have assurance what you are. In, in verse In verse 30, right, it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You guys see that? By whom you were, can someone tell me, sealed, all right, for the day of redemption. Now keep your thinking caps on, because I really want to draw your attention to that term sealed there. We're kind of making a segue now from chapter 3 of John to Ephesians 4, establishing some context and we're going to get to some clear application about what it would mean to grieve or quench the Spirit, okay? So just a little bit more time here of some good teaching. What does it mean that believers have been sealed with the Holy Spirit? Actually, the Bible speaks of being sealed in three different ways. Like Jesus' tomb was sealed which means you're going to keep certain things out and you're going to close other things in. To be sealed also speaks of identifying something that is authentic or identifying something that is owned or uh, by another. It's very interesting in Ezekiel chapter 9, it addresses a seal that is given to the righteous before Jerusalem is judged. And the seal is the Hebrew letter tau, in the ancient Hebrew, it's, it's actually, well, it's actually the form of the cross, interestingly. And that's the word for seal, which speaks of something that's authentic, something that's protected, something that is owned. Like, it's like we have the protection of the Lord under the cross, if you will. I mean, if you want to look at it that way, which is clearly biblical. But it also speaks of divine protection, There's like this beautiful picture in Revelation 7 where an angel steps onto the stage prior to the return of Jesus. And and he says it it has the seal of the living God. And the seal of God, okay, these are big ideas, are put on 144,000 Jews who are believers in Yeshua, the king, in the future, in Israel. And they are sealed by God. And the, the picture is they are Uniquely protected by God. Now, please hear this. No matter which of these three meanings on being sealed, no matter which we would choose, like they they all have kind of a basic truth um, that, you know, bleeds into one another. The Spirit seals in faith and seals out unbelief and godless ideas. The Spirit seals Identifying Authenticity and ownership And the Spirit protects us from evil forces So watch this A genuine follower of Jesus has experienced The indwelling of the Holy Spirit in life They have been born again And they have been sealed by the Holy Spirit That is an experience that has taken place in their life In a moment in their life Now, we all have different stories about how we came to know the Lord Jesus, but a genuine follower of Jesus has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and this beautiful idea that we've all been sealed. It's like protected. The Lord has his hand upon us. And for an extra credit, keep your finger here. Go back to Ephesians chapter 1. I want to show you something, a little extra credit here. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. Watch this, Ephesians chapter one, verse 13. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. Well, that's the story of every Christian. We've heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Watch this, in whom also, having believed, yep, yep, that happened in my life, you were, there it is, sealed. Now watch this, with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the, verse 14, who is the, someone tell me, guarantee, actually, of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Look up here real quick. Hey, this is just, just solid Bible teaching here. This is like doctrine, the, good theology. Okay, watch this. Okay, he indwells me, born again, seals me, secure, protected, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Here's the big idea, is like this guarantee. It's like an engagement ring. It's like when I asked Stephanie to marry me, I asked her, would you go through life with me and I wanna experience life with you? And, and, um, and she, she said, let me think about it. No, just kidding, okay. She said, yes, and so I just like, and I had both rings, to be frank with you. I had my engagement ring as well as the wedding ring, and I just first put the engagement ring on, but then I was just like, you know what, (laughs) I want to marry you now. So I just, she ended up, I think, wearing both rings. But the the idea was, the idea was, hey, I've made a promise to you. It's going to happen face to face. Cafe Costa Mesa, we're getting married. And the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is that guarantee. We're going to see the Lord face to face. Guarantee. But what spirit are we referring to? Okay, starting to make a segue here. He, he's the Holy Spirit who is in nature Almighty God. I mean, the, you know, the angels around the throne of God are crying, not love, 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 which God is love or mercy, 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 which he's, he's full of mercy, and justice, 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 they're crying, holy, holy, holy. And it's this big monster term that speaks of all of God's attributes, his muscle, his mercy, his justice, his love. I mean, I've come to really love that term because it's, it's a term that actually just... Overflows the cup of you. Just, it's, in, it's like saying God is indescribable. He's unfathomable. You're way beyond that I could ever wrap my mind around you. It's just you're holy. You're awesome. We're not talking s- something clinical or dry or sterile. We're talking about the Almighty. And you have in your notes, and this is a big idea before we get to application here. The big idea is, please hear me, is that then grieving the Spirit is actually grieving the Holy Spirit, which means that a Christian would then step out of harmony with the one who is perfect love, who has your highest good in mind, who is your protection, and the Holy Spirit works to protect you, actually, from the morphing, destructive realities of sin by exalting the person and work of Jesus Christ in your life. He's like He brings you to Christ. He brings you to Christ. He brings you to Christ. He brings you. To, he, he, he protects you. He has your highest good in mind. All right, go back to Ephesians chapter four. Now, all of that to understand context then. Now we understand context. And if we go back to chapter four, please look with me in verse 25. What what it's telling us is this. You can better understand that that the Holy Spirit really cares about what comes out of your mouth. He, He wants to protect you. He has your highest good in mind. He, he not only is concerned about what comes out of your mouth because of its impact upon others, but actually on your own soul. The Bible says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. And that's why in verse 25, it says, therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Look, uh, gr- what would it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? It would mean to intentionally disseminate false information. L- let me just share something with you. The Holy Spirit does not want you to do that because He loves you. He wants to protect you. That hurts other people and it hurts you as well. Okay, how many of you are tracking with me on that point? That's very important. So be really Look, and, and He's also really. He's also really focused on what comes out of your mouth is even accurate information as well. I mean, this is all kind of addressed in the context of a church family. Like, we are family here, you guys. And we are believers. We're a part of the body of Christ and things. And, and, and there needs to be truth spoken and accurately communicated. Look, if my finger doesn't tell me the truth, I mean, it could just ultimately knock out the whole body. If I put my finger on a hot pan and, and my finger's sending messages that's it's really not hot, it's just like, don't worry about it. It's like ultimately, I don't know, I can get an affection and knock the whole body out. Truth is absolutely essential. The Holy Spirit really cares about what comes out of your mouth, not only for the good of other people, but also the ramification that it can have on your own soul. And therefore, if you jump down to verse 29, he says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification, which would build up, in other words, a person, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Amen. cut out the four-letter words, obscene, vulgarity, slander, contemptuous talk, as one commentator said. And what what I like to do is, I I like to think of that acronym. And I don't know, if you're writing writing notes, just jot this down. I mean, think of the term THINK and just break it down in acronym form T-H-I-N-K. Look, we ought, to, we ought to ask ourselves, is what coming out of our mouth, is it true? I mean, is it true? Not only, like, am I telling the truth, like, I'm, so I'm not in trying to intentionally deceive someone, that'd be lying, but am I accurate in what I'm saying? I mean, is what, am I saying factual? Is it accurate? Is it biblically correct? Because words matter. Words are significant. You must protect the significance of words and ideas. You must avoid minimize the importance of communication. And I've told the story before, but I'm so grateful my father is still alive. He was the best man of my wedding, and I love talking with him. And let me just tell you sometimes the conversation I have with him. I'll ask him a question because I love to hear what he thinks about something. And a lot of times, he's a really bright guy. He will say, you know, I, I really don't know anything about that. I, I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> I have no problem talking about what I don't know. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, it's like, come on, Dad. I mean, you're, what are you, not very smart or something? Why don't you just, you know, no, but he would just say, you know, I, 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 I don't know anything about that, he would say. And I'm thinking, I have no problem telling my opinion, even though I have no, I don't know what I'm talking about. But that, that's a problem there, a big problem. Holy Spirit wants to protect you. You don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit with your words. Please look at verse 26 and 27. I mean, the Holy Spirit really cares about the anger issue in your life. Now this may kind of sound weird, but the truth is much of life has to do with anger. When it says in verse 26, be angry and do not sin, the implication is there are areas in our life we ought to be angry over. Like, it it ought to upset us that there is Abuse of children, abuse of women. I mean, it ought to upset you that you have this terrorist organization called Hamas that have shot like 3,000 rockets into Israel. Okay, they, they're not interested in negotiation, they're interested in wiping every Jew off the face of the earth. They want to get rid of Israel. Like, literally, right? And that just upsets me It saddens me. I talked about it last week, but on my phone, I have this app that just, the siren goes off every time and uh, a, a rocket, you know, is shot. And, you know, and I, well, I have it there and it reminds me and we pray and things. But, you know, the thing, it, it, the thing goes off so often, you know. You, sometimes you gotta turn the thing off. But, I mean, abuse ought to upset us. Can I hear another amen to that? I mean, injustice ought to, to upset us. Okay, so it's like, hey, be angry. There are some areas you ought to be angry over. you got to be angry over sin, because it's not good for you, it's not good for others, it's not good for your family. But, but there is an anger that is without just cause, like the anger that results out of frustration when there's miscommunication, or just ticked off or when expectations are not met or when there's a failure to forgive a personal injury. And such anger is not something to sleep on. And the reason is because it will morph and it will worsen. And the picture is that at the door is the most sinister and godless influence, the devil. And it's, it's not like, hey, you know, if you don't forgive someone, literally the devil shows up at your house. Because, I mean, the Bible speaks of the devil. I believe in the devil, but it's like, you know, he's called Satan and prince of demons and stuff. Uh, it's, it's a metaphor. Paul is saying, look, it, I'll tell you something. If you don't get this anger issue right, you ought to be upset about unrighteousness. But if you're upset and it's really not just cause and you're upset because there's miscommunication but no intent to harm, and you're still carrying around bitterness because of the absence of forgiveness and stuff, you sleep on that stuff? I'm telling you, man, it's like, the, it's like allowing the devil to get a foothold in the door of your home. It just, it just will wreak havoc in your life and in your family and maybe even future generations. So the question we ought to ask is, are, are we consumed with causeless anger? that person's personality bugs me or I'm really bugged and I'm upset over the weakness of another human even though they didn't intend to harm. I'm really upset over some church procedure or methodology even though it has nothing to do with doctrinal purity. All of that is just really lame anger that's causeless. I mean, be angry over what is unjust but do not sin. And this issue needs to be addressed. And how is it addressed? The Holy Spirit really wants to address this because he wants to protect you and others from destructive realities of sin. And so if you look in verse 31, I mean, Paul mentions a bunch of crazy things that morph. And we really don't have time to develop this, even though I could take a little time. I'd prefer to emphasize what the Holy Spirit ultimately leads us to. But there's bitterness Which is temper, which cherishes resentful feelings. There's wrath, which is kind of passion, angry, heat, outbursts of anger. Hey, bitterness leads to wrath leads then to anger. The Greek word is orge, a state of rel- relatively strong displeasure and then clamor, kind of just freaking out verbally and all these different things. But please, if you if you go down to verse 32, let's just get to the good stuff here. The Holy Spirit wants to protect you and he's going to do this by exalting Christ and the life of Christ leading you to be what? Look at verse 32, to be kind to one another. I mean, every Christian Every Christian can be kind. I mean, you don't have to dig someone to be kind. You don't have to agree with someone to be kind. It's, it's the opposite of harsh and hard and sharp and bitter. I mean, that is in harmony with the Holy Spirit. You guys tracking with that? Watch this. To be tender-hearted, it's like, oh, hey, how many times have you been through uh, life <laughs> we're all actually on the same journey if you will going through once none of us have done this before and there's a lot of moving parts and and the different cultures and and there's distinction between male and female and an elder to a younger person and stuff it's just like the, the holy spirit's leading you to be kind and he's leading you to be tender-hearted The truth of the matter is that that person you're walking past like probably a 99.9% chance is carrying some kind of burden like you are. And every one of us can actually forgive. Forgive. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is, for one, a command of God. God commands us to forgive. Forgive. Jesus taught us to pray and he addressed the forgiveness issue: Forgive us our debts, Father, you know, which is really a, a, a prayer that has been answered in Christ. We are forgiven as we forgive those who trespass against us. In some ways it could be said the greatest need we have is actually to receive God's grace of forgiveness and also to give it to actually other people. Because one of the reasons the Holy Spirit is leading you to forgive is actually to protect you. He does not want you under the injury of the injustice. Resentment just makes you miserable, keeps you stuck in the past. And when you're stuck in the past, you're controlled by the past. And every time you resent something, it controls you. And some of you, perhaps, are allowing people who hurt you 5, 10, 20 years ago to just continue to injure you today. And the Holy Spirit wants to protect you from that. He wants to get you past your past because He really cares for you. You say, well... What does forgiveness look like? If you're writing down a few notes, jot this down. Forgiveness is remembering how much you've been forgiven. That's what Paul is saying here. So it's like, first of all, my goodness, the Lord has paid it all, all the debt of my sin on the cross, and he's forgiven me for, for so much. But number two, forgiveness, listen, is relinquishing your right to get even. It's relinquishing your right to get even. So you've been injured, I've been injured, we've all been injured. So what do I do with it? Um, I, I go to the father and say, look, I'm not going to hold this debt over this person's head. And, and Lord, I forgive them. I go vertical with it, kind of a cross check. That's vertical, horizontal. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be led and gifted and strengthened by the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to be under the influence of the injustice. I'm not going to allow it to become bitter. I'm not allowed to turn into hatred. And number three, forgiveness is responding to evil with good. It's responding to evil with good. And hear this, you guys. Forgiveness is repeating the process as long as necessary. It's like I go vertical, horizontal, vertical, horizontal, vertical, horizontal, over and over and over and over again. And as I do, my emotions begin to catch up. Please hear me. Forgiveness, though, is not necessarily trust. You can forgive someone, not necessarily trust them. That takes time. You say, you know, I'm just, hey, I'm not going to be under the influence of this injury that leads to bitterness and morphs into all these crazy things. Remember, be angry, but don't sin. Charles Spurgeon said, the Holy Spirit's grief is not a petty, oversensitive nature. Listen, he's grieved with us mainly for our own sakes, so for he knows what misery sin will cost us. He reads our sorrows in our sins. Oh, he's awesome. Isn't the Holy Spirit awesome? All right, so you can see how important it is then to give room to the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve him. And and, and if you have your notes that we handed out and you'd like to fill things in, here's like one of the main points. Grieving the Holy Spirit is the sin actually of commission. It's an ungodly act, okay, okay? We're going to see it's different than quenching the Spirit, which is the sin of omission, which is I know what's right, but I don't do it. So I'm grieving what the Lord would want to do in and through me. Okay. Hey, I'm so proud of you guys. You're doing great. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. I want to show you something. Here's the third passage we want to address. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're talking about not grieving nor quenching the Spirit. Don't want to do that. Holy Spirit is awesome. He wants to protect you. He's perfect love. He wants to exalt Christ in your life. So you don't want to grieve him nor quench him. So now, look, if you if you check out here, verse 16, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, that's where we'll begin. You have these final admonitions. Rejoice always. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. Attitude of prayer, dependence upon God. Verse 18, everything gives thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And and look at verse 19. Let's all read it together. Do not quench the spirit, okay? Do not despise prophecies, test all things, hold fast, which is good, abstain from every form of evil. Okay, what would it mean to quench the spirit? I have an understanding of what it means to grieve the spirit, that is a step out of harmony <laughs> with someone who's perfect love. <laughs> and who wants to exalt the person and work of Jesus Christ in my life, wants to protect me, wants to ensure that I'm blessed in Jesus, wants to protect me from the morphing, destructive realities of sin, to quench the spirit, and it's in your notes, means to extinguish or to go out, and it's used to refer to putting out fires. Um, the broader context, and we talked a little bit about this last week, is on the day of Pentecost, which was 50 days after the resurrection. The Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples. There was a fire on top of their heads, or it looked like a fire, the tongue of fire. It looked, it was the presence of God uniquely being manifested. The Bible says that the knowledge of the Lord was going to spread throughout the earth. That's happening even as we speak with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the idea is that what began at Pentecost in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, you don't want to put it out. You don't want to put the fire of the knowledge of God out. So therefore, it speaks to the fact that our purpose is actually to spread the knowledge of God to all nations, beginning here in our own city and county. And therefore, to not quench the Spirit would be, and give room, therefore, to the Holy Spirit would be to keep an outward focus with an overall purpose of God's glory. Because if we lose our outside focus, you guys, goodness gracious, we've lost our reason for existence. Pentecost was the beginning of the knowledge of God spreading throughout the world, and it needs to continue today. So in principle, this tells us that we all need an outlet for our faith, where our faith is demonstrated. Faith without works is, can someone tell me, dead. You know, sometimes you'll hear a Christian say, you know, I'm not being fed. And, and it is important to be fed. It's a metaphor of like spiritually nourished. Um, and that's important. And if someone's not being fed, they need to be fed. Because man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds on the mouth of God. But hear me. Being fed is only like a third of what it is to grow, actually. And be influential in a generation. Because just think of food, like you eat, that's important, then it needs to, number two, be assimilated, I need to accept it and allow it to have full assimilation in my body, then I need to do something with it, right? And turn it into muscle. So faith without works is dead gives perspective on growth as a Christian, it's not only the right energy, God's word, it's assimilating it and then putting it into action. Therefore, I think we have it up on here, quenching the Holy Spirit is the sin of omission. It's knowing what is right but not doing it. Someone who does not quench the Spirit, I'm just gonna tell you someone who steps on a pedal in their life. They step on the pedal of obedience. Like, is is the Holy Spirit bringing to mind an issue in your life, personally, in your family, in your marriage, where you work, in your community, in the church, even? Because we all need each other. And it's like, hey, step on the pedal, obey, allow the Lord to work through you, to be a blessing to others and build his kingdom. Do not quench. Do not grieve the Spirit, but give room to Him. Now watch this. In a few moments, we're going to hold the cup, the new covenant Jesus said in my blood that speaks of of His life, that He hung blood, gave His life on the cross, paid the debt of our sin. He's awesome. We're going to hold a piece of bread that symbolically comes from the same loaf, so it's like it's, it's a bunch of pieces. We'd say, well, how many, how many loaves of bread there? We think, well, it looks like there's probably a whole bunch. That, actually come from, it, The idea is it's come from the same because it speaks of unity. It speaks of, of, of Jesus' body, that we're really one. We're celebrating the unity that we have in Jesus, being one with Christ. Please hear me. What would it look like to give room to the Holy Spirit when we hold the bread and the cup this morning? Let me tell you what the Holy Spirit is totally after. He wants to shine. He wants to shine the light on who Jesus is, what he accomplished 2,000 years ago, and how everything is moving towards him. He wants to, he wants to shine the light of the person and the work of Christ. Do you know the Holy Spirit's work is actually as a servant? He speaks only what he hears, John 16, 13. He declares what he has given. His mission is to glorify another, and that another is Jesus. So this means that his objective is to exalt the person and work of Jesus in your life. He just wants you to, he, he, actually what he wants to do, is he wants your heart recaptured today, recaptured over and over and over and over and over again with the awesomeness of Jesus. I mean, just, and that's what he's after. And that's like a daily thing. I mean, every believer would say, hey, I mean, he, he, he won my heart at the cross and there came a time when I became a believer. Yeah, but the Holy Spirit is like over, 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 bringing the king, the king, front and center to our life. I'll tell you why. Because there's a war. I'm telling you, there's a war in your heart. And maybe you even sense it right now versus what is of real value versus what is not of value what is of real transcendence, which we all like transcendent junkies. We want to experience that which is outside of ourselves, And that's why we love art and love sports and just, I love Americanos. Anyways, all right. So, I mean, that's coffee, sorry. Um, you know, it's like we, we love these experiences, but look, the, the glory for which there's not a greater glory is the personal work of Jesus Christ. And just the Holy Spirit just like brings that home to us. And we need the Holy Spirit, you guys, to exalt Jesus because there is a war over what is of value versus what is not of value. And as Paul Tripp wrote, I love it, because in a flash of irritation, a mom will treat the condition of her son's bedroom as being more valuable than the community she is to have with her son which is so essential to what God wants to do for this boy through her. See, the Holy Spirit protects us from that. That's the point. He protects us from like after months of frustration, a believer will get into a heated argument over garden boundaries with his neighbor, forgetting how much more important it is to be salt and light in that man's life than have than how many flowers were planted over the property line. Like the Holy Spirit just wants, no, this, this is what's really important. This is what's really important. This is what's really important. Don't expend your energy on, on a glory that Paul would say is ultimately your shame. No, he just wants to bring what's really front and center most important because for a moment, a man will get more of a sense of well-being from the look and smell of his brand new car than he does from the condition of his heart. The heart what's going on in the heart is very important. For a season, the affection and appreciation of another human being will become more functionally important to us than the gracious, forgiving, adopting love of our Heavenly Father. Man, in a flash of one look, the beauty and shape of a woman's body can become more important than long-term marital community and a heart that is pure. See, let me just tell you something. (laughs) The Holy Spirit is wonderful and beautiful. He is our comforter. He is our helper. And we need him every day of our life. And so it's like to like give him room this morning. It's like, Jesus, I'm gonna hold the bread. It's just, I'm one with you. I'm one with believers. And, and and, and And I recognize that I'm a part of the physical representation on planet earth. So I'm gonna step on the pedal of obedience. I'm not gonna quench your spirit. I'm full out for you to your glory. And let me just say this if you're here for the first time or maybe you've never opened your heart to Christ, your Lord and Savior, let me tell you, Holy Spirit is so after you because he loves you so much. Seriously, just loves you so much. He is like dying to introduce you to Jesus. He just wants the best for you. I'm telling you right now, he wants you to know Jesus. He wants you to leave here knowing Christ. He wants to leave you knowing your sins are forgiven. If you are to die, you go to heaven. And and, because the Bible says this, watch. If I resist him, his influence, I'm insulting him. I'm insulting the spirit of grace, the Bible says. I'm insulting the person, the one person who has my highest good in mind and my best man, he just totally want to introduce you to the real hero of your soul, the king, the savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest need you have is, is, is grace in Christ. I'm just telling you, it's the truth. Let me just say a few thing, more things, we'll pray, okay? But please hear this. The Bible says we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is is eternal life in Christ Jesus the Lord. The reason why the Holy Spirit wants to just totally draw you to Jesus is because your greatest need is Him. You have a condition that is much much more damaging than you may think. Like, I have a doctor friend. If I, if I, if I went to my, my, my doctor friend and he did a blood test and, and he said, look, there's this condition, it's really serious, we need to address this. I mean, I feel pretty good, it's no big deal. If the doc says it needs to be addressed, it needs to be addressed. Please hear me. It, there's a reason Jesus hung bled, gave his life on the cross, went to drastic measures. And he's saying there's, there's a need you have, maybe you don't even realize how big it is. Sometimes people say, hey man, preacher, I know I'm already a sinner and stuff. Don't tell me about sin. And I kind of hear what they're saying, but I, if I could just say this, please think about this. I actually, I actually don't think anybody completely understands how serious sin is, except Jesus. He's the only one that really understands it. It's... It, the trajectory it's going to set your life on now and into, eternally is much, into eternity is much bigger than you could ever imagine. I'm just telling you. The Holy Spirit's, you don't want to insult him. He's the spirit of grace, unmerited favor. He just wants to, he wants to lead you to Jesus Christ. If you take the 10 commandments, every single one of us, if it's like an x-ray machine, it goes through our body, through our soul, through our mind. It reveals we've got this really bad virus. It's called sin. We need the Lord's help. We need His forgiveness. We need a Savior. It's like really serious. And it's like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. No, the Lord says it's a big deal. He knows what He's talking about. That's, that's why I just, I just want, him. I want, I want you to come to Christ. He loves you. He stands at the door and knocks You say, Greg, what must I do? Recognize what he's done for you. And then number two, repent, which means change the way you think and accept him as your Lord and Savior. And and turn away from those things that are harmful. Don't grieve the spirit. Give room to him and follow Jesus Christ and make it happen today. Make it happen this morning.